Welcome to the Green Zone Podcast, the show that teaches oil and gas executives how to take command of their finances and live in the green. Your host, Jeff Green, from Green Financial Group, will be your financial guide, all while giving you a tour of the most beloved and best-kept secret spots around Houston, Texas. Now, on to the show. As Benjamin Franklin said, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Well, death is not the topic this episode, but taxes are. It's time for the annual gathering of statements, receipts, W-2s, 1099s, and all those other forms required by the government. This is The Green Zone with Jeff Green and Lauren Smith of Green Financial Group. I'm Patrice Sikora. It's 2021, and the deadline for filing this year is again April 15th. There is no extension as there was last year. Uh, Jeff and Lauren... People are getting their paperwork together. And what are the questions they're asking? Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for mentioning Benjamin Franklin, because I don't know if you recall <laughs> during our one of our earlier podcast episodes, we talked about your favorite founding father. And Lauren, who's my favorite founding father? Benjamin Franklin. Everyone needs a favorite founding father. <laughs> who's your favorite founding father? Uh, the jury's still out on that one. I'm still, still oh, yeah, working. I'm I don't, so I don't disappointed. share your same I'm passion. disappointed because you still haven't come up with Patrice. Have, did you come up with a, a favorite founding father? Um, I think my my vision has changed a little bit since I've seen Hamilton. I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wait, what were we talking about? Taxes? Taxes, <laughs> right. Okay. Lauren, what's up with taxes this year? Keep in mind anything we say that everyone's tax situation is different. We're not tax advisors. This is just, you know, some general thoughts out there. Always consult with your tax advisor when, when doing your taxes. We deal primarily with retirees, retirement planning. And one thing that's new in the last year is the IRA contribution age limit. So this isn't really a tax issue, but it has to do with IRAs and retirement planning, Congress eliminated the age limit of 70 and a half for making IRA contributions as long as the individual has earned income in the amount of the contribution. You have until April 15th of the following year to make the previous year's IRA contribution. Still a couple weeks left to make 2020 contributions. If you are over the age of 70 and a half, you still have the option of contributing to an IRA as long as there's earned income. So that's a newer thing. That's something to definitely take advantage of, get that tax deferred growth started. And and what are the contribution limits this year? The contribution limit this year, if you're under 50, you have 6,000 is the max you can contribute. And then if you're over 50, you get that extra thousand catch up. So your max is 7,000. Gotcha. Spousal IRAs. What's up with those? So this is an interesting thing, too, that I don't think a lot of people really pay attention to. But if one spouse works and the other does not, the tax law allows the non-working spouse to base his or her contribution to an IRA on the working spouse's income. So this tax benefit is frequently overlooked when spouses have been working for years and basing individual contributions on their own income and then one of the spouses will retire. Even if the working spouse has a pension plan at work or his or her income precludes making a deductible IRA contribution, the non-working retired spouse may still make a contribution based on the working spouse's income. So spousal contributions can also be made to Roth IRAs if the spouse's joint income does not exceed that limit. So that's definitely a way that people can double potentially the amount of IRA distribu- um, contributions that are being made each year, maximize that and yeah, I mean, retirement. 
right. assets uh, growing. Absolutely. And get, get as much money as you can get in tax deferred for tax deferred, deferred growth, the better off you are. I mean, your, your earnings multiply much, much gr- greater than when you're having to pay taxes on that. And you pair that little tidbit with the fact that you can now contribute after 70 and a half and people can be adding some more money to IRAs longer than load them up in the past. Now then the problem becomes when you have to take it out. Exactly. So that is a problem. And that hits on RMDs, which happen at 72 now. So that was previously 70 and a half. Now it's 72, the required minimum distributions kick in. So that's the amount that the IRS is going to tell you, you have to take out each year. And if you do not take that amount out, pay taxes on it, you are penalized. I think it's maybe 50% penalty. I'm not sure of the exact penalty. It's, but it's, it's up there. It's something you definitely want to avoid. So you want to start looking from a tax planning strategy as early as 59 and a half when you can start taking distributions from your IRA, try to figure out what the best way to get those RMDs down in the future. Yeah. And one of the ways that, that we do a lot here and, and Lauren is, does a great job at doing the analytics on this, uh, but our Roth conversions, it's, it's going to cost you tax wise, but you can't just overlook Roth conversions at all. They, they are a great tool for moving some monies in existing traditional IRAs to a Roth IRA. Yes, you'll, there'll be a tax consequence then. You'll have to pay taxes on that conversion. We're encouraging clients to do more. We did a lot in 2020 because the tax rates are historically low. When tax rates are historically low, you want to convert as much as you can because you can convert more at a, at a lesser tax rate. So, Laura, what's up with the IRA contribution limits this year? With tax, tax season upon us, big part of that is IRA contributions. Keep in mind, you have until April 15th of the following year to make IRA contributions for the previous year. So that means April 15th of this year, 2021, to make your 2020 contributions. That's the deadline. Congress eliminated the age limit of 70 and a half for making IRA contributions as long as the individual has earned income in the amount of the contribution. This is now a way yes. for people, you know, retirees that kind still have some deal. earned income. Yeah. You can still contribute, make that tax deferred growth. We're living longer. We're working longer. I think that was a great move by IRS. I mean, I think that's a great thing. So keep in mind, if you are under the age of 50 for 2020 and 2021, the IRA contribution limit is $6,000. For 50 and above, you get an additional $1,000 catch-up, making your contribution maximum $7,000. Lauren, you talk about this a lot. Hit on spousal IRAs for us, because this seems to be something that's overlooked a bit. Spousal IRAs, kind of a little bit of trick kind of a trick when you're planning, doing some retirement planning, but if one spouse works and the other does not, the tax law allows the non-working spouse to base his or her contribution to an IRA on the working spouse's income. So this tax benefit, it's frequently overlooked when spouses have been working for years and basing their individual contributions on their income and kind of forgetting about the non-working spouse. So, so basically, just one, as long as one spouse is working, both can contribute. Right. And even if the working spouse has a pension at work or his or her income precludes making a deductible IRA contribution, the non-working retired spouse may still make a contribution based on the working spouse's income. And this spousal contribution can also be made to Roth IRAs as long as they fall in that income limit. 
get as much money in tax deferred accounts as you possibly can, right? Exactly. I mean, it grows better. You don't pay taxes on on gains or dividends or anything like that. And the compound returns on tax deferral is much, much greater. I mean, we've all seen the graphs, much greater than paying taxes. Exactly. The one where where it becomes a problem, though, is if you start saving up too much, once you hit age 72, which was previously 70 and a half, your required minimum distributions kick in. And then that's when the IRS will force you to take out a certain amount of money each year from your IRA and pay taxes on it. Right. A couple of ways we help clients around that are... One, Roth conversions, which we've talked a lot about on here before, and I'm not going to harp on them too much, but Lauren does a great job on doing the research and calculations on Roth conversions and making sure that we stay within certain tax brackets, et cetera, et cetera. There's a, again, this is something that you, you, you need a lot of analysis on before you go making a bunch of Roth conversions, and you need to consult, consult your your financial advisor and certainly your tax advisor. We're not tax advisors. This whole podcast is just meant to be informative, but of course, you know, as always, run all of this by your tax advisor. This is not tax, you know, recommendations by any means. Right. But in general, Roth conversions can do a lot for you. And right now, tax rates are historically low. I don't think that's going to last. Not not to talk politics. I just don't I don't think you can see we're, we're all expecting a tax rate hike here at some point. I don't think that you that you're going to see one in 21 simply because it's going to be kind of a hard sell coming out of a a pandemic and a recession. So you're probably good for 21, 22, not so sure you have to wait and see, but we had we did a lot of Roth conversions for clients last year. When tax rates are low as they are now on a historical basis, then you can you can convert more from a traditional to a Roth IRA without incurring as heavy a tax penalty, because there is a tax penalty when you make that conversion. The reason you make that conversion, and especially when you do it during, uh, w- with low tax rates, is that we can move as much money over now from a traditional IRA to a Roth IRA. And as long as we leave it that money and let it grow in the Roth IRA for five years, then that money is growing tax deferred for us, but ultimately tax-free because there's no taxes coming out of a Roth IRA and are also great vehicles to leave behind to heirs. Another way that we've been doing, I just did this with a client just the other day, QCDs. This is a good one. <laughs> it's, it's actually Lauren's favorite. Qualified charitable distributions. That's what a QCD is. You know why I like this? Because once you hit 72 and those required minimum distributions come in, you're kind of your hands are a little bit tied in what you can do. Jeff just mentioned Roth conversions. And prior to 70 and a half, I mean, 72, you can take out whatever you want, pay taxes on it, make the Roth conversion. There's, you know, there's some tricks and... Well, the only only time you can truly control your IRA is between the ages of 59 and a half and 72 now. Yeah, but once you hit 72, if you want to do a Roth conversion, it has to be above and beyond the amount of of your RMD. Right, doesn't count towards the RMD. So let's say you want to do $25,000 Roth conversion. So that means you take out $25,000 from your IRA, you pay taxes on it, and you put it into a Roth. Let's say you want to do that at age 72, but your required minimum distribution is 50,000. So you have to take out the 50, 
then you have to take out an additional 25 to do your Roth conversion. So now you've generated taxable income of $75,000. And if that works for your particular situation, then it works and it's great. But for some people, that might be significantly more than they need to take out, much higher tax burden than needed. So that's where these qualified charitable distributions come in and can be really helpful with managing those RMDs. Just to elaborate a little bit more on the qualified charitable distribution, we just did this with a client uh, just this week. What they are, you can you can take pull money out of your IRA. This particular individual has chosen ten percent for this year. Ten percent of everything he pulls out of his IRA is going to go to the nonprofit or charity of his choice. That ten percent that he's pulling out and giving directly to charity is not taxable. He gets to take he gets to reduce his IRA if he doesn't need the money. In this case, he does not, and he wants to. He's a charitable, like minded individual. And he wants to give to to his causes so he can do so on a tax-free basis while still reducing his, his IRA. And it counts for towards RMDs. It does satisfy the RMD. One caveat, it cannot exceed $100,000 for the year. As Jeff mentioned, it reduces your income, your taxable income. That can therefore reduce the likelihood of other taxes being levied, such as Social Security, Medicare premiums, et cetera. Yeah, it all ties and it gets complicated. It does get complicated, but it's a valuable tool, especially if you're charitably inclined and you know you've got a significant RMD that maybe you don't need. Maybe your RMD is a hundred thousand dollars, but your annual needs are fifty thousand. You're gonna have to take that extra fifty out anyway. And if you're charitably inclined, it's a good way to. Yeah kind of kill two birds with one stone. Me and Lauren make great charities too, by the way. So exactly. who might listen out there that needs a QCD? Let us know. Ah, no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, the other thing I wanted to hit on real quick, Patrice, is cryptocurrency. We hear so much about cryptocurrencies now. Bitcoin is the biggest one. There's a couple of others out there. But let's just talk about Bitcoin because the IRS, cryptocurrencies is on their radar. They're treating it as property. So every time you buy or sell a cryptocurrency, the gain or loss is a, is a transaction reported, you know, like a stock transaction. So it's a gain or loss and it's a taxable event. I hear so much about cryptocurrencies. I'm going to, I'm going to give you just a, my two cents worth on cryptocurrencies. Yes, I know it's, it's out there. More people are accepting it as a currency, but I, I don't think a lot of people really understand about Bitcoin. There is, there's, a, there's a finite supply of Bitcoin. It's $21 million. And for whatever reason, I don't know what the reason is, but you, you can't increase that supply. It's, it just is what it is. There's, there's 21 million and that's it. They've, and they have to mine this Bitcoin. 18.6 million has currently been mined. A Bitcoin is a string of numbers created by algorithms. And each Bitcoin that is mined becomes a larger and larger number. And the last, so there's, like I said, there's 18.6 million Bitcoin out there now with a $21 million limit. So you got about two, what, two, 2.4 million of Bitcoin left to mine. Do you know how long it's going to take to mine that Bitcoin? Was it like 40 years or something? 40 years to mine the last $2.4 million of Bitcoin. I think your mind just gets blown with this Bitcoin stuff. uh, It does, because everybody asked me about it, and I've had to do some research, and this is what it it comes up with. here's Here's the thing. If it became a currency, what would it be worth? I don't know. I mean, how how do you put a value on that other than it fluctuating about a thousand points in a in a day? The federal here's what I, here's what I do know though. 
The federal government will never allow a private currency that they cannot manipulate. You're never going to be able to pay your taxes in a cryptocurrency. It's not going to happen. I, I know that some places are accepting it. That's fine. But it will never be accepted as a, as a governmental money supply. I like when you go on your little Bitcoin rants. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not pro nor anti-Bitcoin. I'm just telling you what it is. It, it's just not going to be. It's not going to be the currency of the future. It's just because the governments can't control it. And if a government can't control their currency, then they're not going to. They're not going to use it. That's uh, that's our spiel on cryptocurrencies and taxes this week. Just on a closing note with taxes, especially in retirement, people. As you work and as you contribute to different accounts, there's many different types of accounts out there. And by the time you retire, you might have an after-tax account. You might have a savings account. You might have a checking account at your bank, a 401k, a Roth. There's all different types of accounts out there. And I think from a tax planning standpoint, it's really important for people to realize that how you dis distribute your money from those different accounts really makes a huge difference in your taxes and not just your taxes this year, your taxes in years to come. That's really why it's important to make a plan. It all, it all, everything we talk about always circles back to this, make a plan and at tax season, especially. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head because it's about, it's when, because when it comes time, when you go from, when you, when you retire, you're going from the labor side of capitalism to the capital side of capitalism. You're no longer working long and hard for your money, but now your money must work long and hard for you. And what Lauren is alluding to is when it comes time to recreate the company paycheck, as we say we do for the next 30, 40 years for our clients, it becomes very, very important to find the, the cheapest cost of capital. In other words, where, where can I pull, where, as a client, where can I pull my money from? Where do I pull my money from? where it's going to cost me the least amount in, in taxes. That's part of the analysis that we do for our clients. We spend a great deal of time making sure that our clients are getting the cheapest form of capital for them, their spendable dollars. And Jeff, Albert Einstein also had a quote about taxes. Now, he may not be a founding father, but Albert Einstein said, if you get up early, work late, and pay your taxes, you will get ahead if you strike oil. If listeners have questions, all you have to do is contact Jeff and Lauren at greenfinancialgrp.com. It's greenfinancialgroup.com. Again, Jeff Green and Lauren Smith of Green Financial Group. This is The Green Zone, and you can subscribe to every episode with the subscribe button right on this page. You can also share. I'm Patrice Sikora, and let's talk again later. Thank you for listening to The Green Zone Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Green Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. Green Financial Group is not a registered broker or dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. Jeff Green is the founder of Green Financial Group and is a registered principal of RJFS. The Green Financial Group is located at 6363 Woodway Drive, Suite 625, 
Houston, Texas, 77057, and can be reached at 713-244-3030. Raymond James is not affiliated with and does not endorse the opinions or services of his guests.